when Jesus was buried, He was in the grave for three days and then He rose from the dead by the power of God. And when we follow Christ by obedience to Him, when we follow Him into salvation, we then are called to follow Him in baptism. And the waters of baptism being uh, submerged into the waters actually pictures the burial of Jesus Christ. And when we come up, I often say when we baptize here, that you are raised uh, to walk in newness of life. And that's what we are called to do as Christians. What does this new life look like? What does new life in Christ look like? If Christ was raised from the dead and He is now alive, and He calls us to be raised from our former life, our former death, really, spiritual death, now to raised, be raised to walk in newness of life following Him, what does this look like? Well, beginning in Ephesians chapter 4 with verse 1, Paul said that we were to walk worthy of our calling. And then he follows that in verses 2 to 16 to show what that looks like within the body of Christ. It is to recognize and appreciate the gifts that God has given to the church. First, He has united the body together into one body. We are united in Christ by the Spirit. And then, verses 7 through 16, we are diverse. We have various gifts that God has given to us, but all are to be used to help grow the body together into um, unity around the, uh, the, the gospel, the center of what we are as Christians. And what we'll see today is that as we pick up with verse 17, we'll see that this word walk is brought over uh, to show us what it looks like to walk worthy of our calling. Verse 1, walk worthy of your calling. Verse 17, here's what it looks like to walk worthy of your calling. So maybe as Christians, we don't fully see what it looks like to walk worthy of our calling. So Paul's now going to put it in even starker terms than he did before. It doesn't just mean some ethereal thing, you know, I'm going to do what Jesus wants, you know, what would Jesus do type of thing, but rather it is making a clean break with the old way of life, the old way of sin and following after the cares of this world. And I believe, Christian, that when you understand this passage properly, you will come away praising God for what He has done to you through Christ. And you will come away motivated to obey the commands that follow in chapter 4, verse 25 and following. There's all this talk about laying aside these former ways of life and then putting on this new way of life. There is speaking properly, instead of speaking improperly, speaking properly, and so on. And so we're going to be motivated to do all these commands that we're giving, given that follow. But we first have to understand verses 17 through 24. So what does new life in Christ look like? Let me read our passage for us. And you follow along in your Bible as well. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This is the Word of God. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, 
have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We are called to walk worthy of our calling. If we are Christians, we're called to walk worthy of that calling as a Christian. And walking worthy is something that we do in response to what Christ has done. This is what this passage is about. That this is a response to what Christ has done. Now, if we were to uh, look at this exact same passage in the Greek New Testament from which we have our English translation we would see that this section is broken down into two sentences, just like it is in the New American Standard, if you're using that this morning. Uh, sentence number one goes all the way to verse 19. If you look at the end of verse 19, you see a period, and then the next period doesn't come until the end of verse 24. So we have two sentences, or we could say two thoughts, two ideas, that Paul is trying to present to us with regard to understanding of how to walk worthy. First, in verses 17 through 19, we're going to see that we no longer walk just as the Gentiles walk. We don't do that anymore because Christ has made us to be something different. God has made us to be something different. And the second thing we're going to see, verses 20 through 24, the second sentence, is that we did not learn Christ in this way. But instead, we've put off that old self. We've put it off when we were uh, buried with Christ in His death and raised with Him in His resurrection. Alright, so first, verses 17-19. 17 through 19, New life in Christ does not look like our old way of life. New life in Christ does not look like our old way of life. Specifically, it means that we do not live like pagans do. Okay, when, when the Scriptures use the word Gentiles, we're going to see it here, it's referring to pagans. That is, those who reject God, those who don't know God. All right, And so, that's why I say we don't live like pagans do since we're no longer pagans. If we're not pagans, then we don't live like pagans. Verses 17 through 19. At least that's the way it ought to be. Now notice, Paul begins this section uh, with an affirmation about what he is going to say. He shows the importance of what he's about to say. He says in verse 17, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, with the, with the Lord's authority, I am saying this to you. With the Lord's authority, I'm saying this to you, that you no longer, look at the next line, that you will walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. He's not making a command here. He's not saying, please stop walking like the Gentiles walk. No, he's saying, you don't do it anymore. I affirm on the authority that I have because of the Lord that you no longer live this way. Now, the word Gentiles there in the middle of verse 17 has two basic usages in the New Testament. 
it can mean non-Jews. Okay, that is, we have this group of people who are by ethnicity Jews, and then everyone else. So that's how the scriptures refer to to, to that group of people, the Gentiles. That's one way. The other way is that this Gentile group is actually pagans. That's the way the Jews actually saw Gentiles, that they were pagans. They were opposing God. And in the Old Testament, that was very much true. Most Gentiles did oppose God. The, uh, the, the uh, vast majority of Gentiles were pagans. Very few Gentiles actually adopted Judaism and, and, and followed God. But now in the New Testament... This, this idea of Gentiles being pagan is carried over and Paul uses it again and this is how he's using it here. He's saying, not that you no longer walk like ethnic Gentiles walk because Paul's actually writing to ethnic Gentiles, people who are not Jews. So he's saying, don't walk or you're not, you're not, you, you are no longer walking like pagans do. Notice why. Why as believers we don't live like pagans. Look at the end of verse 17 and then it continues says, in the futility of their mind, referring to pagans or Gentiles. So why don't we as believers walk like or live like pagans? That's the idea of walking there. Why don't we live like pagans? Very simply, we're not pagans. Look at the description of pagans. First, verse 17, at the end it says that they they live in the futility of their minds. So they have ineffective minds. The next phrase in verse 18 says that they're darkened in their understanding. What does this mean? Everybody who hasn't come to Christ doesn't have a mind? Their mind is just mush or something? It's not that they don't have a mind or that their mind can't accomplish anything. It's that their mind is futile. Look at the word in verse 17. The futility of their mind. It's useless. It's unproductive. Verse 18 says it's darkened. Those who don't know Christ, those who do not follow Christ, their minds are useless for the things of God. That is because of what theologians call total depravity. That sin has penetrated every part of our being. Both our immaterial part and our material part. Our bodies and our souls. Our our bodies and our minds. And because it has affected every part of our body, because we are sinful in every part of our person, Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, God tells us there that we cannot please Him. We cannot please Him. We don't search for God apart from Christ. We don't, we don't even want to do so. Even if we wanted to, Romans 8 says that we are unable to. We don't even have the ability to come to God. And so, pagans, we we are not that way anymore as Christians. We don't have ineffective minds. We now have effective minds. God has changed us. And sadly, for the unbeliever, they don't even know that they're darkened in their understanding. Just like we were before we came to Christ, we thought we were enlightened. We thought we knew all that there was to know about life. But it was when God changed us, when God helped us to see the glory and the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ that we now understood things in a proper light according to God's standard. In that case, 
Our minds are now useful and they're not darkened. They're enlightened according to God's standard. Notice the next way that that pagans are described. First, ineffective mind. Second, cut off from God. Look at the second line of verse 18. Excluded from the life of God. This is consistent with that text that I just quoted from Romans chapter 8, that they do not come to God, nor do are they able to do so. Romans 3 says it this way, that because of our sin, we are all unrighteous. There is not one righteous person among us. Not even one. All of us are rejecting God. And for that reason... We are cut off from God. We are excluded from the life of God. Third description of the pagan is found at the end of verse 18, and that is that he is, he or she is spiritually numb. Spiritually numb. Look at the end of verse 18. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they have become callous. They are spiritually numb. The futility of their minds in verse 17 doesn't mean that they aren't smart. Many of them have brains that could run circles around our brain, but it's just that they are hardened in their understanding about the real truths about God. And they don't see the significance. You could have them read through the entire Scriptures. And if the Spirit did not transform their mind and help them to believe it, then they wouldn't understand the significance of it. They could see all of the sentences on the page, They could make sense of them grammatically, but they can't understand the significance of what it means for their life and for their eternity. Do you see? They are spiritually numb. The Scriptures talk about pagans being blinded in their understanding. And if you think about yourself, before you came to Christ, this is exactly how you and I were, wasn't it? We were spiritually numb to the things of God. We rejected them. We thought they were foolishness. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2.14. A natural man, okay, this is the same idea as what we're talking about here. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Without spiritual life, we can't understand in a proper light the things of God. fourth description of those who reject God, pagans, is that they are spiritually corrupt. Look at the last part of verse 19. They have become calloused and have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Their actions are in keeping with their thoughts about God because they don't accept God as the supreme ruler over all things and the supreme ruler over their lives. They give themselves over to all sorts of immorality, sensuality, idolatry. That's because of who they are. Because of what they think. This is how they act. And so here's what Paul's saying. That's how pagans live. But that's not how you live. Notice again his argument. Look at verse 17 again. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. You don't walk this way anymore. You're not futile in your thinking. You're not darkened in your understanding. You're not callous to the things of God. You're not sensual. You're not 
You're not corrupt. No, you live according to what Christ saved you to be. Because you are not a pagan, then it follows that as a Christian, you don't live like one. So, new life in Christ does not look like our old way of life. Secondly, Paul in the second sentence says, new life in Christ looks like complete transformation. So here's what it doesn't look like, our old way of life. Instead, it looks like complete transformation. Verses 20 to 24. That is that Christ has set you apart for His purposes. Since we are not to act like pagans, since we are not to be this way since we are not pagans, we instead must walk worthy of our calling. So what does that look like? In order for us to understand this section of Scripture, verses 20 to 24, we need to understand the command that's given in verse 22. Let me show you where it is, and then I'll try to explain it for you. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. So this comes across as a command that you need to lay aside your old self, and then look at verse 24, and put on the new self. What does this mean? Is this referring to our old nature, which continually resides in us? Because Galatians talks about the fact that there is a war going in, on inside of us as Christians, right? When we come to Christ, we don't come to a place of complete righteousness where we are perfect. Can anybody else attest to that besides me? Okay, So we're not perfect. So Galatians talks, us to, talks about inside of us there's a war going on between the Holy Spirit of God and between our flesh, our old nature. So is that what Paul is talking about here? Is he saying, put off that old nature and start allowing the Spirit to, to, uh, to be alive within you? Is that what he's saying? Well, this phrase, in order to understand this, this phrase, old self, is used two other times in Scripture. And I think it would be helpful for us to look at those. Turn to Romans chapter 6, and I'll show you the first instance in which Paul uses it. Romans chapter 6. What we're trying to understand is what is Paul referring to when he says, lay aside your old self. Romans 6, verse 6. Let's start in verse 5. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, okay, talking about salvation, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self, notice, was crucified with Him, Christ, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. What is Paul saying there? What is he referring to when he's talking about the old self? Is it something that's still alive after we come to Christ or dead? It's dead, right? It's crucified. It's the, the reason that we are dead to the mastery of sin, that sin no longer has claim over us, yes, we still sin, but it's no longer our master, is because we have been crucified. Our old self has been crucified with Christ. Okay, now turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 to see the second use of this phrase, old self. Again, this is only used three times in the entire New Testament. If we understand these two passages, I think we'll understand what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4. So, Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Notice again the argument that 
Paul is using. This is why we should shed these, these sins that plague us. Colossians 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. I want to point your attention to verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Why should we shed that former way of life, the way that we used to be before we came to Christ? Why? Verse 9 tells us, because you have laid aside the old self. So, is the old self alive or dead? And this passage is dead. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. In both of these passages, I believe that Paul is clear that that about the nature of our old self. He's talking about something different than he was in Galatians 5 when he was talking about the flesh and the spirit. There, I believe he was talking about our old nature, which still resides in us. But here he's talking about our old self, which was crucified with Christ. In other words, we don't have to continually crucify our old self. It already has been crucified, Romans 6.6. 6. Well, if that's the truth, if old self has been crucified when we came to Christ, then we have an apparent problem here because Paul seems to be saying in verse 22 that we need to lay aside the old self. But how can we do that if the old self is already dead? Why would we need to lay it aside? And the answer is that Paul is not making a command in verse 22. In other words, this shouldn't come across as a command, but rather as a statement. So look back to verse 17. This I say, firm together with the Lord, that you no longer... He's not making a command there either. He's saying, you no longer live like a pagan. And then skip down to verse 22. And that you lay aside the old self. You are no longer a pagan. That's not who you are. And you have already laid aside the old man. You've already laid aside your old self and you already have put on the new man. Verse 24. And the reason that I, I think we have evidence of this even in this text is if you skip down to verse 25, you see that Paul says, therefore. So now what he's going to say is that you need to start laying aside these sins Right? He's going to speak about uh, lying there in verse 25, about being sinfully angry, verse 26, about stealing, verse 28, about speaking unwholesome words, verse 29, about grieving the Spirit, verse 30, about being bitter and wrathful, verse 31, and so on. So he's going to say, you need to lay all those things aside. Why? Look at the first word of verse 25. Therefore. In other words, I've already told you why. Verses 17 to 24. Because you don't live as pagans, verses 17 to 19, and you already have laid aside the old self. Well, how did I do that? I don't remember doing that. Well, Christ did that for you. He laid aside your old self, your, your old uh, person, your old man. And so what Paul is saying is not to do something here He's not saying you need to lay aside. He's going to do that in verse 25 and following. But here he's saying, this is not who you are. 
simply, he's simply stating facts. You ought to know how you should live because of who you are. Look at verse 20. Verses 20 and 21. He says, you know how you ought to live, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Again, talking about a past action. If indeed, verse 21, you have heard Him and have been taught in Him just as truth is in Jesus. In other words, when you came to Christ, you heard about what Christ taught and you heard what Christ expected of you. And you knew that that meant to submit to Him and to shed your pagan desires. Because of that, because of that transaction that took place of Christ um, changing you, He started a work of regeneration in you. That is, of transforming you. And one of the things that happens during regeneration is He takes away your old self. He takes away your former manner of life. Your former master. That when we were lost in our sins, our master was sin and Satan. We loved to follow our sin. We loved to to do the desires that were welling up in our hearts. And now we seek to do not our desires as much as God's desires. We made a fundamental break with the past. That's what crucifixion is. It's making a fundamental break with the past. And that's what Christ did with our old self. Our manner of life was crucified when the Spirit regenerated us. Notice verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Probably a more helpful translation is the King James Version, which says, which is corrupted. Or we could think of it as, which was corrupted. This is in keeping with what we're talking about here, that the old man has been crucified. He has been, it has been done away with. Not that the old man is continually being corrupted within within us, but that he has been done away with. He was corrupted. And now, verses 23 and 24, Paul makes another statement. Our new self has taken over. From the time we came to Christ, our new self took over. That's what regeneration accomplishes in us. Verse 23 says that we've been renewed in the spirit of our minds. And we've put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the, tr- of the truth. So, when we are regenerated, God imparts to us spiritual life even though we were spiritually dead. See, before we came to Christ, we were physically alive, spiritually dead. We were cut off from the things of God. We were futile in our mind, darkened in our understanding, corrupt, immoral, But when God saved us, when Christ saved us, He, he, through the Holy Spirit, imparted spiritual life to us. He took what was spiritually dead and made it spiritually alive. And so we no longer are darkened in our understanding. We no longer are hardened in our heart. Our old self is done away with and now we have a new self. This is who we are. We've been created. Notice the purpose for which we were created in Christ. Verse 24, and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created. It's not being created. God's not creating a new man. He has created it at salvation. It's a transaction that took place then in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
In other words, in one sense, you have been transformed into the image of God. It's part of what it means to be a Christian. That you now reflect the image of God more clearly than you did before you came to Christ. Now, now please understand with me that all people, Gentiles, Jews, pagans, Christians, all are made in the image of God. All of them are. But, but we understand that Christ is the perfect image of God, right? The perfect representation of who God is. Well, when you came to Christ, God through His Spirit transformed you into the image of His Son. He restored the image of Himself that was once marred at the fall when Adam sinned. And that image of God includes for us a capacity for fellowship with God. Now, as Christians, from the very time that you came to Christ, you now had a capacity to worship God like you did not have before you came to Christ. Even though, again, we weren't perfect when we came to Christ, right? We still are not. But now we have a capacity for fellowship with God which we didn't have before. Why? Well, think about it. There was a fundamental break between us and God because of our sin. There's a gulf that's fixed between us and God because of our sin. We can't come to God on our own terms. We have to come to God on God's terms. And God's terms is that we come to Him on the basis of Jesus Christ. And once we do that, we fix the gulf. We span the gulf between ourselves and God. Or actually, God spans it between Himself and us. So no longer are we fundamentally uh, separated from God. Now, even though we're not perfect, right? We have a capacity for fellowship with God. We have the ability now to please God, which we didn't have before. Because we were separated from the life of God. That's what the text says. We were cut off from the life of God. That's what the end of verse 18 says. Excluded from the life of God. That's that gulf I'm talking about. that was fixed between us and God. Christian, you have been created in Christ to be righteous, to be holy. And that process started at the point of your conversion. Let me leave you with a couple points of application. Number one, new life in Christ means a clean break from the old way of life. New life in Christ means a clean break from the old way of life. This clean break from our old way of life, our old self, is not something that you and I can do. And therefore, we have to recognize that this is ultimately a work of God that we have to depend on Him to change us, to to break us off from that old way of life. Look at chapter chapter 3, verse 14. And see if you get a sense of whose responsibility, whose obligation is it to to walk in this way. Chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, God, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So, who grants us the strength? 
Who grants us the power to be renewed in our inner man? Paul's praying that God would do it. Verse 16, that He, God, would grant you. So, there is a fundamental break that happens when we come to Christ from our old way of life. And this is something that God promises to work in us. Number two, if that is true, then why does sin sin seem so alive within me? If as Christians we have been cut off from our old way of life, why does sin seem so alive within me? We must understand that this break with the old man, the old way of life, is only positional. That is, think about it in terms of a courtroom. That God has, just like in justification, He has declared something to be true. Even if we don't sense it to be true. Even if we don't have the full sense of freedom. See, in justification, God imparts to us, He declares us, He doesn't impart righteousness, He declares us to be righteous even though we are not. That's what He's doing. He's doing this in a just way. How can God do this? Well, God can only do this if someone else takes our place. If someone else was righteous in our place. So now God can be just because Christ was righteous in our place. Christ was a sacrificial penalty. Or or He he did pay the sacrificial penalty that we could not pay. Let me help you to think about this more. Okay, We're trying to find out. If we broke with the old way of life, why does sin seem so alive within me? Think about this, Ephesians 2.6. We are raised with Christ and seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, are any of you as Christians raised with Christ right now and seated with Him in heavenly places? No, this is a positional thing. This is, in God's view, this is where you are even though you are not physically right now. What I'm telling you is that if you don't understand your position in Christ, you will not be properly motivated to do what verse 25 and following tell us to do. The rest of the book is going to be all about commands and us walking worthy of our calling and us obeying God's commands. But if you don't understand your position in Christ, you will not be properly motivated. You see, this passage is not talking about doing something. It's talking about your position before God. What theologians call positional sanctification. It means that we have been set apart for God's purposes. God's saying, you, as a Christian, have been set apart for My purposes. See, sanctification is not the end. When we come to Christ, we don't immediately die. We don't immediately become perfect. We are positionally set apart, sanctified for God's purposes. And that's really just the beginning, isn't it? It's the beginning of a long road of learning to lay aside these sins and to be who we are. Suppose on Saturday we decided to have a football game and we divided up everybody into two teams. The first team that you were on was a cutthroat team and they didn't play by the rules. They encouraged you to be a dirty player, taking cheap shots, ignoring the rules and so on. And then, after a few games, someone from the other team said, I want you on my team. But when you come over here, I want you to understand something. When you're on our team, we don't play dirty. 
and you don't play dirty. You don't ignore the rules. You don't take cheap shots at other players. That is not who you are anymore. You're on our team now. We play by the rules. We play together. We don't play dirty. Suppose you grew up in a rough home and your parents were passive and expected you to oppose authority. They expected you to join them in drinking and swearing and watching filth on TV and hanging out with some the same kind of people. And then eventually, your parents abandoned you for some reason or another. And you are put up for adoption as a teenager. And you come into this new family, and this new family takes you in and adopts you legally into their family. And the father says, you are now my son. You are now my daughter. You used to be corrupt. You used to follow the wickedness of the world. You used to do all the things that the Joneses were doing. But you don't live that way anymore. You are not a Jones anymore. You are one of ours. You're a part of our family. And so you don't live that way. It's as if God here is what Paul's telling us in Ephesians 4, has brought us over to His team or to His family. And now He expects us to play like He's on His team. He expects us to be a part of His family and act like one of His family members. You see, what God has done for you in verses 17 through 24 as a Christian is set you apart to be a part of His team, His family. So that sin still is alive and still fighting against your spirit. But it should not be that way. See, you're no longer on that team. That's been done away with, it's been taken care of, it's gone, it's over. So that's why we can have motivation to do what God tells us to do properly, to shed off that desire for sin. And so thirdly, third point of application, and we're going to spend really the rest of our study in Ephesians over the next several weeks to study this, to see this, and that is because of who you are, Christian, act like who you are. They Act like who you are. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, that sometimes we tell our kids, act your age. That you are a certain age and you're expected to live a certain way. This is how six-year-olds are expected to live. And so because of that, you ought to act your age. And what Paul is going to tell us over the next several weeks is because of who you are, set apart for God's purposes, start acting like it. Start living like it. Start walking worthy of your calling. If God has set you apart to be holy, then be holy. If God has called you to speak wholesome words, then speak wholesome words. If God has called you not to be sinfully angry, then control your temper. And so on. And so next week we'll look at, we'll see what it looks like practically. Now that we're on God's team, what does it mean to play like we're on God's team? Since we have laid aside our old self. We have done that through the, the union that we have in Christ at His death. Then we need to, verse 25, therefore lay aside these things. And we put on the new self and therefore must live according to who we are in Christ. You see, Christian, this passage is all about our position in Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. That is, our old self has been crucified with Him, done away with. We no longer are who we formerly were positionally. 
And don't you thank God for that? He has rescued you from your former state and has planted your feet on a firm foundation, has brought you onto a new team, a new family. This ought to bring great praise to us. And this is why I say, when we understand properly our position in Christ, verses 17 through 24, we will be properly motivated to do all these things that seem so restraining. To do all of these things that God tells us to do and to stop doing the things God tells us not to do. It should lead to us praising God for what He has done for us. And it should lead to properly motivating us to obey Him. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how unfathomable are His ways. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Romans 11. 33 and 36. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Your Word and how it sheds light on what it means to, to be united with Christ in His death and to be raised with Him in His resurrection to walk in newness of life. Lord, we understand that apart from Your loving grace, We would be condemned because of our sin and deserving of it. But because of Jesus Christ and His finished work and because of Your acceptance of what He did on on the cross and the proof of it that we see in the resurrection, we are confident that we can have a right standing before You and that we can be pleasing to You and that we have shed off our old person and now have put on a new person which is being renewed. And we pray that You'd help us to walk worthy of our calling, that we would act our age spiritually, that we would live to be who we already are in Christ. And we're thankful that our standing before You does not, has never, and never will depend on our own righteousness, on the things that we do. Lord, when Satan tempts us to despair, when he piles up the guilt because of the sin that we continually commit, we turn back and look to the cross and say to Satan, yes, all those things are true and much more. We are wicked sinners. But that's not why we stand before You and and are accepted. We are accepted before You, Father, because of what Jesus did. And we count on that. We trust in that. And because of that, we seek to change our lives to be more like Him. To better reflect His image. Lord, if there are some here who do not know Jesus Christ, who have not experienced the joy of the Gospel and what it means to live in light of the Gospel, I pray that You would work in their hearts and help us to encourage them and to challenge them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.